Welcome to this podcast on district heating and what best practices um, is um, when you're going to build a new district heating system. My name is uh, Morten Jord Dudal and I'm from the Danish Board of District Heating, DBDH, as we call it every day. I have invited today two top experts on district heating to discuss um, a report that has recently been launched um, by the Joint Research Committee. That's an EU organization that creates knowledge um, about many things, among other things, is district heating. And here we have investigated what, what best practice is. I have two experts um, sitting here with me. Um, one is Peter Verstraten. He's a researcher from um, the Dutch organization TNO. TNO is a research organization and study many, many things amongst, amongst others, energy and district heating. And the other expert I have invited is Michael McGuinness from the Western Bartonshire um, City Council. He's leading, he's leading the um, district heating developments there and have recently launched a, what I would say, a fantastic new system. Before we dig into the details of the report, um, let's just ask um, a simple question here. Um, Peter, tell us what was your most important or most exciting or surprising finding you had in, um, in the report? Yes, thank you, Morten. I think one of the, the fun realizations that we've had during the, the analysis is that although the project is about best practices on the planning and the construction phase of district heating, uh, we found that actually the majority of the best practices can be found in the planning phase. So that was one of the, the fun findings. Yeah, I agree on that. And then over to you, Michael. What was your most surprising or important finding in the report? Yes, good morning, Martin. Thanks for inviting me. For me, the, the, the key thing is, is linked with what Peter mentioned, is that the, the planning process, but also I think dealing with the regulatory frameworks of your, of your nation. And also for me was finding um, the experts in the field to, to guide you and mentor you uh, through your development of, of your network, but certainly the, the planning phase is, is key. Okay, wonderful. The structure of today's discussion will be that first we will ask Peter to present the report. What was it that was actually done and some of the findings? We won't go into details with all the findings, I understand, Peter, but some of them. After that, we will um, hear from Michael. What did you actually do in the Queen's, Queen's Key project? Um, based on that, we will have a discussion about the best practices that um, are here. And I know you're both very engaged with district heating, so I don't think we'll have a problem um, <laughs> filling um, good content into this. But Peter, maybe you will start out and giving giving us some examples and um, a, a background of, of, of the report you have we have just launched. Yeah, thank you, Morten. Uh, so let me just first start explaining uh, the, the project. So the TNO and DBDH have together uh, conducted this research for the GRC, the Joint Research Committee, 
the project was called Best Practices for Planning and Construction of Thermal Networks Identified in the EU. Uh, and it focused, well, as said, on the best practices for the planning and construction phase of district heating. Uh, to determine these best practices, we conducted eight interviews for eight different cases. And each case was in a different country within the EU. So, for example, Denmark, Germany uh, and six others. For each case, we determined best practices. But of course, since every project is very unique, uh, they will also all have their own very specific best practices. And what we were looking for were actually general best practices. So to that end, we also uh, did a cross case analysis along all the best practices for each uh, case and determined general best practices which should hold for, I guess, the majority of the district heating projects. Uh, these best practices are classified along the two phases, so uh, planning and construction, and also along five categories, um, business case and cost, governance, social acceptance, regulation, policy and subsidy, and we also have an other strategic item category. Um, in the end, we have general best practices for these categories, um, and I think we can, in this podcast, also go through some of them, although I would like to advise everyone to read the report and get a, a closer look at them. Good, thank you. I wonder, <clears throat> Peter, which projects did you find? Was it um, top-notch, state-of-the-art um, projects, or was it um, just ordinary projects that has been successful or um, did you did you do any considerations yeah. there? Yeah, thank you. Very interesting question. Um, I think one of the great things about talking to uh, people within all these different countries, you really see the different levels of expertise and knowledge with uh, district heating. Uh, for example, we did one uh, interview in Denmark which is really experienced, of course, as you know, with district heating. So there we saw that the, the level of the knowledge of the interviewee was really high. Um, in some other countries, the people are fairly new to district heating. So in those cases, it was really more focused on how do you start district heating if you do not have the knowledge or the experience on your own. For example, you collaborate with uh, other parties within the EU. So I think you really saw the difference in level of expertise and also the different best practices that came with this different level of expertise. So it was really interesting to see. So you didn't, it was not only really, really super fantastic advanced project, it was ordinary projects that yeah. everybody could learn from. I have one more question for you before we jump to you, Michael and Peter. Um, what um so now we have all these best practices um can everybody then just take that checklist and use it um from a to z and when they've gone through the whole checklist they have a perfect district heating system uh, <laughs> of course the answer is not going to be uh, yes um yeah so now i think the checklist metaphor is is a really great one but we shouldn't indeed uh, say that each best practice should he hold for each uh, project. Uh, 
As said before, each project is unique. So you're going to have to make sure that the best practices that you will use also uh, are really uh, good for your project. So I think you should, when you take a look at this list as someone who is going to do a project, take a look at which ones hold true for your project and use these ones. Um, and this can differ based on the project that you're doing, but also on your own level of expertise. Uh, I think that's also a really important factor here. Um, and I think also what we saw is actually that this checklist might be most beneficial for people who are new to district heating. I think if the level of expertise is really high, um, then it can still be useful, but uh, I would recommend it most for people who are new to district heating. Good. Thank you. Um, this podcast has been made now over to you, Michael. We make this podcast now because we are in the middle of the COP26. Um, and as um, Peter have said, um, it's an EU project. So we didn't have the chance to interview you because, well, that's a different story. We don't want to go there now. But please tell us about your project in Queen's Key and what you have done. And then afterward, I'll ask you about some of the best practices and then we can have the discussion. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much, Martin. So the Queen's Key site uh, is a, a former shipyard in west of Glasgow in a town called Clydebank. It's an 80-acre site which we redeveloped. Uh, it was a brownfield site. It gave us a blank canvas, really. The, the site was cleared of all buildings, and we took the opportunity to look at how do we make this site more green? How do we make it more environmentally friendly? Um, we felt that providing a source of energy for the site would be really beneficial. So we secured some Scottish government funding um, we spent quite a lot of time engaging with external experts to understand what would be the best source of energy for, for, for the site. We, we moved towards a, a district heating network based upon water source. Now, this was primarily based on the fact that we were, were on the River Clyde, a large river source uh, in Glasgow. And this provided us a rich source of, of heat from the Clyde to distribute throughout the, the, the Queen's Quay site for heat. So we embarked on securing additional funding from the Western Bartonshire Council, who were quite brave in, in going forward with a scheme that would, has, has not been tried in, in Scotland. Uh, and we, de we delivered a, a 5.3 megawatt heat pump facility on the banks of the Clyde, um, providing heat to a number of public buildings. We, we came on tap in November last year, so we've been operating one year. So we are quite new to this. Um, we set up an energy company. We had to get the governance in place. We had to make sure we had the heat agreements in place for all the customers. So we've been on quite quite a journey. Uh, we've learned a lot on the way, and we're continually learning uh, how to, to to build and develop uh, a heat heat network. I think for us, one of the key learnings was that we really had to think quite big uh, in scale. So there's certainly economies of scale when you're developing a network that's really important to consider. How big do you want this to be? What resources can you secure? to make sure you can provide as big a network as possible uh, and, and as sustainable as possible. So we took a 40-year horizon for our, for our network. So again, thinking long term, we wanted to make sure the network could provide fuel for some of our properties that are suffering from fuel poverty. So we deliberately chose to make the, the facility and the energy network a public utility. So the council uh, set up uh, an energy company and the energy company is run by the public sector, not for profit, 
to to ensure we can keep our pricing and our tariffs as low as possible for those who live in social housing and to provide a, a low carbon solution for all those companies wishing, wishing to join us uh, on our journey. Interesting. Thank you very much. So actually the municipality stepped in and saw that this brownfield area, um, the Queen Ski area, um, former shipbuilding area, um, was a stepping stone to expand district even even further and an active part not only in the being carbon neutral that's of course also extremely important but for other ideas that the the, the council has on um, alleviating fuel poverty and and other things that um, so it was a, it was not only the math and the economics of this system that drove it forward um, and that's an interesting um, perspective i think I think when, and that's why I invited you. Of course, we have. I've followed this project for for some years now, and I think if if I should po- point it to one of the Scottish projects, there are, there are several in 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 um, in that category. That but where we can say it's best practice, it would definitely be you because you did the planning, you did the construction, you did the forward thinking, and so on. So. It is a best practice example, but that's not the kind of best practice we discuss here in the report because we go one one step deeper and say, in the planning process, there was this and this best practice. So, Michael, where where do you think, what is the, the best practices you find in the report that you would like to mention here as essential for your your project? You already touched on 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 it earlier, but now let's go into details and then let's ask Peter afterwards um, about some of the findings from other cities on these different um, areas, and he can put them in perspective. But um, where do we want to start with? Yeah, well, I think I think for us, it's it's all about the planning, and that's planning from a, a regulatory point of view to make sure you're working with your municipality in terms of the planning guidelines, the, the uses of land. I think doing uh, understanding who owns various plots of land uh, are critical in terms of delivering your network. Um, you need to engage early with the utility companies to ensure you can uh, secure the necessary energy you need for your centre, for example, electricity in our case, uh, and also the we have an organisation called uh, SIPA, which looks after the environment, and Marine Scotland who looks after the, wa- the water. So I think it's important, early, very early engagement with all the regulatory bodies from the environmental side, from the planning side, and also the utility side. I think for us, uh, in, in engaging early with these organisations, we we had to set out our plan, and I think that's that, that's really key. What 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 is your plan? How long is your plan? How are you going to ensure it's going to be sustainable uh, and not cost millions of pounds to to the investors uh, going forward? It can it can maintain and survive longer term. I think it's really important. So I think been been very upfront uh, and and engaging early with all the regulatory bodies, with the utilities. And with your investors, frankly, to to ensure that together you you all understand what's a long term objective, what's the long term aim of this project, and as you pointed out, Martin, we had you know economic and social and environmental factors here. Economics, we want to make sure that it's it's financially viable, and um, socially, we want to address 
fuel poverty for citizens within Western Martinshire area. And environmentally, it's absolutely a drive towards net zero in Scotland is, is absolutely key in everything we do. And this is one step towards you know, a major contributor factor to, to heating the homes and the businesses in Clyde Bank and Western Bartonshire. So I think those kind of key factors in a planning sense were, were really key uh, to, to making sure that uh, we, we, you know, we progress positively. I think also we, we spent quite a bit of time looking for experts in the field to understand you know, how does this work, what's the best technology we should adopt, what is what is the right methodology in terms of your tariff? What is the right methodology in terms of how many pipes in the ground should you install in the initial stages? So there's a whole raft of different elements and experts you, you have to engage with to help guide us uh, in, in our journey. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Peter, setting long-term goals involving stakeholders. We can come back to um, the... Uh, Tell us, which, that fits well with the report, I see. Can you share some of the results from some of the other cities as well? And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what Michael mentioned, it's really a great example of our report because I hear so many of the best practices uh, come back. I think the, you, of course, first mentioned the planning phase, so that's really important. Uh, what was fun is actually also that men people mentioned when things go wrong in the construction phase, actually what will we do uh, better next time work on it in the planning phase so that really goes to show how important it is uh, to set out i think a long-term objective uh, that was also mentioned mainly in the the dutch case the case from the netherlands and what they also mentioned which i i hear as well here is that to have really a clear look on the business case from the beginning take it into account from from day zero or day one and see how, how it develops. Because when you start, the picture will be different from when you continue. And of course, things happen, you have to adjust to that. But by starting with the business case, having it clear, you can see how that will change, be prepared for any hiccups. Um, another one that I find really interesting is the, the experts in the field that you mentioned, Michael. Um, we saw that we talked, of course, with several projects uh, who were new to district heating, and this was really an important one that they mentioned. Uh, all found out that they were not able to do it uh, themselves. You need a level of knowledge on this, uh, but an important difference between these party parties is when did they ask for the help that they needed? So some ask it in the beginning, they realized we're going to do this, but we need help. So they sought out um, well, consultancies or experts or anybody of organization. While others tried it at first, found out they, that they couldn't and then asked for help. And you really saw that they wished that they in the beginning had recognized that they would need help and ask for it because it would have saved them a lot of time and cost. Um, I think also one final one is the like the working together with the utilities. Uh, you mentioned it also for clear communication, but then one that we saw a lot was actually that uh, a lot of cost and time can be saved when working together with utilities. Uh, this is mainly with, for example, sewage and electricity when they have to dig into the ground. Uh, that well, 
it gives an opportunity to you as a district heating operator to work together with them and uh, save time and cost. I, I, I think from our perspective, Peter, that one of the, the, the clear elements was we started from such a low knowledge base. We were very mm -hmm. open and welcoming for, for any organisation uh, to come and help. To, we were very keen to, to seek external help from an early stage. There, there, there were a number of uh, experts who promised us significant financial returns and made it all mm -hmm. sound so easy. And there were others who were more pragmatic and more realistic about the challenges we would face in developing the network. And we, we certainly found that those with a, a more pragmatic view and more conservative view on the potential returns were, were more more were more realistic, frankly. And we, we certainly found their guidance much more helpful in that regard. And I think from, from our point of view, certainly, um, you know, the, the Danish mentoring was, was uh, an integral part of the work that we did and supporting us through through this through this journey over the last four years has been has been fundamental. So reaching out, um, seeking expert help is, is is absolutely key. And don't be afraid to ask the the simple questions. Is I think yeah. a, a mode we we often we often took. Yeah, and, and I think Michael, also that it's really uh, it can differ between the projects what kind of help you will need. So that will is well that we cannot uh, find that in a general best practice that will differ. So that's really some up to the operator. Um, but I think an important thing also to mention here is that uh, it's. If you cannot find the help locally, don't be afraid to look internationally. I think, uh, well, the DBDH has helped in with throughout the EU uh, cases. So don't be confined to your own city or looking like 50 kilometers radius. Just look further. It uh, will only help you. Yeah, I think um, maybe not all the listeners here are familiar with the mentoring, but it 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 is a, a new thing we invented, actually not new because it's five, seven years old, where we created a long-term relationship with, between the Danish district heating company and a UK-based um, district heating or district heating company to be here. It was Western Bartonshire, and then it developed into to, um, this specific project where we have had ongoing conversations. And what I think is um, exciting is that what we know in Denmark or what we know, people know in Germany or the Netherlands is maybe not a copy and paste situation, but it inspires everybody to be able to discuss these different challenges because in a way we all sit with the same challenges. There are technical challenges, they are international, that's not specific to any country. But even within the planning, we can definitely learn from each other in, in this project. Um, that was best practices. Um, Michael, um, this project has been on the drawing board and now it has been realized. How For how long were you working on it? Five years or so? Yeah, exactly. He's giving me a thumbs up. You can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. And I guess it was a smooth process. You just did one step and then you planned the next and the so on and so on. Or where were your hiccups and um, where were you? Probably there were a few. Yeah, I suppose. What was the challenges? Yeah, there, there, there were many challenges. So, so, for example, one of the challenges was securing the necessary plots of land to access the water, for example. So we had to secure that. That took a bit of time. 
there were challenges in that uh, our planning department required us to have quite a, a significant statement of a building at the waterfront's edge. So it wasn't just a, a grey box holding a heat pump. It was quite a spectacular building we produced at the Queen's Quay site, which cost extra money. So there was a, some financial challenges in, in terms of delivering the, the network. The, the chamber we, we produced to extract the water from the Clyde um, was quite a significant piece of civil engineering. Uh, and again, that increased uh, our, our burden and costs for the project. So I suppose our biggest challenge was probably the financial challenges of delivering the full suite of um, ambitions we had. So, you know, to make sure that we have sufficient capacity for future uh, future proofing the, the network. Um, so, yeah, the financial costs um, and I suppose some of the legals, uh, legal titles of, of that were some of the challenges we faced. But uh, yeah, generally it's been operating well for a year. I suppose for us, the big challenge just now and moving forward is securing new connections. We have a significant reliance on the UK, in particular on gas, which is very competitively priced in the UK. That's, that is changing. But just now, gas is a very cheap source of energy for the UK and moving people from gas to a renewable source is still quite a challenge from particularly from a financial point of view. From a carbon point of view, it's it's very low carbon clearly and uh, beneficial. But from a when you talk to the accountants and the organizations, it's it's it can be more costly than um, they, they are paying for, for the low priced gas at this stage. But that's certainly changing. Uh, and we see that you know securing additional connections from various different organisations is is the, the current big challenge for us just now. But we believe that will change as the market moves um, in an upward direction for the price of, of fuel. Peter, in the report, we have some comments about BAT, best available technology. Um, and when I look at the project Michael has been in charge of, um, I will put. Um, I will say that um, putting in two large heat pumps from the River Clyde is um, um, best available technology in one understanding, namely the understanding that it's really advanced and difficult, and has not been tested many many places. Whereas, if I can say so, your pipe network in the ground is much more a classic not too high temperature district heating system that has that is best available technology in the sense that has simply been done a lot of times many many places it's it's not um, advanced in 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 any modern kind of way of understanding that one um, peter um comment on that please best available yes. technology yeah, I think best available technologies, it's important to be clear about it. Um, for example, someone can think it will mean that you always have to be very innovative, uh, but that's not, not the way that we use it. I think best available technology can also, again, be very specific for a project. If um, your level of experience is not too high, we would just suggest best available proven technologies, actually. Um, I think this holds, for example, for the pipe networks to use the pipes with the best insulation levels. Um, and for heat sources such as heat pumps, then, then you can, I think, see a lot more uh, differences. Where it's important to mention that 
each project is unique, each local potential is unique. There might be a waste potential, there might be, well, as, as you said, Michael, that's the heat pumps is a good potential, uh, and this might differ. Um, but I also think to, it's important to mention is that the best available technique also goes a bit to, in the Danish case, they mentioned that it's also important to lower your temperature. And that's really the system design, I think. It really holds together to this best practice. Um, at some point, the technique that you use, you can get a little bit more efficiency, but lowering the temperature can allow you to have even higher steps of uh, efficiency improvement. So that's also important to mention. Good. Um, I think our time is about to run out. Um, one comment to the report is that there will be a link in connection with this podcast, so you can download it there, or you can simply ask us for for, um, for it, and we will make sure you, you get it. <clears throat> in a way, back to the report. In the beginning, when I saw the results coming in from the interviews, I was thinking, well, yes, but there's no surprises here. This is... Um, something that could have yeah if you're experienced in this industry and i'm not really experienced but i listen to a lot of experienced people that's what they mention again and again and again so i was kind of thinking a little bit that we are stating the obvious um but then i saw it from a different perspective more like a checklist of things that you as even if you're rather experienced or especially if you have no experience then this list of best practices can actually be very helpful um, because some of them is not relevant for you. You just cross them out. Others is something you may not have thought about. And some of them are just obvious, stating what we everybody knows. So just put them into your process and make sure that you follow these best practices in, in, in some way. Um, that was my understanding are there comments to that from your side Peter Michael yeah I think uh, one advice that I would like to give people is to to read our report um, it's really beneficial to talk to these experts and we have been fortunate enough that uh, we could do that in this report and translate what they have said into an analysis and the this checklist of best practices so uh, I think it's really try to read it, use that checklist as it is uh, useful for you. Uh, and in that sense, you're talking with a lot of experts throughout the EU. Michael? I think from my perspective, it, it provides another opportunity. And you've, you've identified a number of different um, district heating network and developers and I think there's a there's a really good rich source of intelligence there to to you know the, the people and the individuals involved in these projects. So I think that gives everyone who reads the report an opportunity to pick up the phone and speak to these people to understand from them firsthand what has been the, the challenges. I think Martin's point about good planning that could apply to any project you, you can you can you can name. But I think people still still need reminding how important it is to, to plan ahead, to engage early 
and to plan ahead um, and to think big. I think in our case that was that was really important. We had to be quite bold and thinking quite quite big in terms of what we're, you know. We didn't start off with a you know one single small pump. We, we went for you know a twenty million pound investment into into a large um, facility that can heat most of, most of the town of Clydebank, frankly, and therefore that that was quite ambitious. Um, but we gained that confidence from engaging with the experts, from engaging with our mentors to say, you know, this is, you really need to, you know, economies of scale are really important in networks, clearly. Uh, and I think that gave us a confidence to, to move forward. So I think engaging with other, with these other people around Europe who, who have delivered this is, is so important to, to learn from them firsthand, uh, along with your checklist uh, and along with, you know, good practice in terms of planning ahead and really thinking through the sustainable nature of your development. Thank you, Michael. That was my um, that was the answer to my next question. If you, if if you could give a recommendation, what what would that be? And I think you said it quite clearly. Seek in plan well, think long term, think big, and seek information from others. I almost hear you invite us to come over to um, Clyde Bank to see your energy center. So we'll do that very soon. Thank you. Very much so. (laughs) Peter, if you should give a recommendation to somebody who is rather new to this, you can't say read the report because that's the obvious. But (laughs) besides that, what's the next one you would say? Uh, Yeah, it's difficult. I think Michael has mentioned uh, almost everything here. I think we have been able to cover in this short amount of time some of the best practices that we mentioned. Um, And I think maybe it's good to mention that one is that we saw a lot of the business case and cost uh, category that really most of the best practices are, are in that category. So maybe uh, take a closer look at those, but it really differs between your project and just, um, yeah, do realize that your project is unique, realize that the planning might be unique, but still you can learn a lot from the other ones because even though each project is unique, in the cases that we talked uh, to, uh, we were able to find so many general best practices. So uh, there's s- such a large amount of overlap between these uh, projects. Uh, so learn from others, that would be my general best practice. Thank you, experts. Thank you to Peter from TNO in the Netherlands, and thank you to you, Michael, from um, Western Baltonshire, the Queen's Key Project, Clyde Bank. Um, for um, sharing your uh, thoughts on this and um, discussing the best practices. Um, I think I'll wind up by um, giving my recommendation. It summarizes everything you did. And I know I'll sound like an old Nike advertisement, but just do it. Be bold. Just do it. Get, Get into the planning mode and just do it. But that said, um, thank you very much and see you soon. Thank you.